Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hi, everybody. Uh, Good morning, good day, uh, wherever, or good evening, depending on wherever in the world you are. Uh, I go by Just Ray in northern Maine. Um, I do live in northern Maine. Um, And I am uh, an incurable addict and sexaholic, lustaholic, uh, alcoholic addict. You could add any any chemical to that list because I'm one of those people that's addicted to more. Um, Anything that changes the way I perceive uh, my self-esteem and my self-worth, anything that alters that and tastes um, anything like hope, I am addicted to. Um, My very first and primary addiction is to lust. Um, it took me a while to see that, um, bouncing around in other, uh, 12 step programs. Um, I knew that something was missing. I knew that there was an elephant in the room that I had yet to address. And, uh, after some years of clearing out, you know, some of the other garbage, this, uh, was revealed to me as, believe it or not, my primary and, uh, only truly destructive uh, addiction. When other kids were my age were trying to shoplift uh, beer and cigarettes um, because they were too young to buy them, um, I was the guy uh, trying to shoplift pornography uh, before I was old enough to have it. Um, You know, I suffered uh, uh, sexual abuse um, when I was a youngster and, um, when, you know, uh, and they kept saying, no one will ever believe you. No one will ever believe you. And, uh, I decided to test that theory and lo and behold, nobody believed me. Um, it was the late seventies and, uh, they had yet to really expose the fact that a lot of, um, kids, teams, coaches like uh, soccer and baseball were actually predatory and that it was sort of a haven for them. But, you know, uh, I can try and point to that and blame it all I like, but um, ultimately um, I own the fact that I am a lost addict and throughout my life I've been given several opportunities to uh, address this issue and it wasn't until uh, December the 12th, 2017, that I uh, found recovery. Um, 
story is typical. Uh, found a pile of dad's magazines, um, cleverly hidden in the garage. And uh, I don't know why, but I was cleverly looking for them. I knew they had to be there somewhere. Um, and basically stealing them and then putting them back and then making sure that I put them back after acting out um, in the precise order in which I took them. Um, and I never really um, got what I was looking for uh, beyond um, beyond it. it. It never satisfied me. It was always, okay, well, the first few times it was sublime. It was awesome. It was the answer to all of my problems. It provided physical release. Um, it cleared up any confusion I had about um, why most families have a mom and a dad and that it's normal for men and women to have sex with each other rather than um, my uh, formulated idea of sex being based on fear and pain at the hands of adult men. Um, and I, I latched onto it and uh, it captivated me. And it continued to do so uh, throughout my teenage years. Um, I would act out, um, you know, even dangerously act out and damn near get caught uh, at, a, at a pretty young age. We're talking 11 and 12. And I think we lost Ray. Turn the recording off. He just disappeared. All right, let's try this again. Um, <laughs> I passed through the regular stages of misery that I think everybody on this phone call understands, um, where we were always on the outside looking in. And in, even if we were popular in school, we didn't feel like we should have been. Or there was always something about us that uh, just made us different than what we saw on the outsides of others. That's a really big thing for me. Uh, I never saw, you know, any part of, you know, my own self. I, I just knew it never matched what I saw on the outsides of others. And um, when it says early on we tuned out with fantasy and masturbation, that was absolutely me. Um, that was absolutely a big, big thing. I, I, I actually had uh, a very strange superstition that I developed at a young age that uh, if there was a girl that I really, really liked, it was bad luck to masturbate or act out while fantasizing about her because then I won't actually have um, a shot at being with this girl. I don't know how that strange superstition started, but um, it started pretty early. And so I always went for um, girls that sort of had some self-esteem defects or I could sort of, you know, figure out a way to um, 
go for, I hate to use this phrase, but the, the low-hanging fruit, um, the, the easy targets for girlfriends. I, I preyed upon women's or young women's um, sort of self-esteem issues um, because I had my own. And um, I figured, well, she's not a pretty cheerleader, but she is at least someone that um, doesn't think that she's better than me. And that was a big fear, uh, running thing throughout my life, um, was being good enough. Um, I didn't hear, Hey, great job. A whole hell of a lot growing up. Um, everything was usually, um, ridicule and derision. Um, but, uh, of course, you know, uh, moving away to college. Um, I had a girlfriend, of course, within three days of being there. Um, I did not lose my virginity until age 20. Um, and I guess by modern standards, that, uh, that sounds pretty crazy, but, uh, yeah, I was one year away from being legally able to drink before I actually lost my, uh, actual virginity. And lo and behold, it was exactly what I was looking for this whole time, uh, when I was acting out. And like any of us, of course, I thought, well, as long as I have this, I don't need the other. So I would do whatever it took to keep my sexual security, which was to bend over backwards, make compromises, lie, fake, uh, do whatever I could to, you know, I'll be whoever you want me to be. Just please don't leave me. Um, that led into a lot of dependency relationships. Um, first girl I met in college, um, I married. Um, she and I were together for a total of 10 years. And um, she gave me more than one chance to uh, let go of the pornography. She gave me more than one chance um, on infidelity until she finally said, enough. and, um, lo and behold, I find myself, um, years later in, uh, throughout relationships. I, I was never a good partner. I was never a good boyfriend. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know what love was. Um, I had, uh, the idea that if you loved me, then these are the things that you would do for me. And if you're not willing to do those things, then you must not love me enough. And uh, I didn't see how diseased and twisted a thought that was. Um, you know, moving on, um, I'm on my third marriage. And again, um, I was able to buy more time by pretending to be doing the right thing. And, uh, of course, just like any, any other sort of false pretense, over time, your covers get pulled and you're, an expo and you're exposed for what you are. And uh, I was very blessed to have somebody who was able to say, look, you're a sick human being. You've done a lot of really, really crappy things to me, to others. Um, I don't know how else to make you understand how big a deal this is to me. And she handed me uh, the ring back. 
And she said, I'm not putting this back on until I think I can trust you. And that was one of the make or break moments. And uh, I had a, uh, a pornography relapse um, about four months in, um, for which I was honest with her. And because I told her, um, and I was open and honest with her, and she knew I'd been going to meetings, and uh, she knew I'd been trying, and she knew I'd been calling people, and the work was evident. She could see me doing it. Um, you know, she uh, basically, you know, get back on the horse. And um, I did. And I haven't felt a need to go back to my old life. Um, that was what it was like. Um, and the, the what happened of it was, you know, um, a lot of the stuff that I was doing could land me in uh, very serious legal trouble. And I don't think that that's uncommon with us. Um, I think it's one of the uh, more common characteristics of people who are trying to recover when they share as part of their story is the fact that um, a lot of what we were doing was illegal, not just uh, immoral or sinful, but just downright illegal and therefore very dangerous to be doing. Um, What it's like now, um, I follow a pretty strict uh, regimen of spirituality. Um, I say strict because um, my higher powers are, you know, they demand discipline of me. Um, nothing shall be given unless something is received and nothing shall be received unless something is given. I have to be willing to um, give up my rights and uh, like the right to lust, the right to look. Um, I grew up hearing the phrase, you know, um, the only time it's a man stops looking is when they close the lid on his coffin. And um, that, that would have been me, but it would have been me at a young age in that coffin. Um, but what it's like now is just absolutely unimaginable. I, I had no idea that things could turn around so much. Um, I feel different. I look different. I walk differently. Uh, I think differently. Um, you know, I follow the, uh, the old Norse traditions. Uh, I am Nordic, uh, Norwegian by descent, as well as uh, Kievan Rus by descent. And um, there's a phrase that uh, I use every day, which is, you know, the, the man who lives without discipline dies without honor. And um, I've got a lot of making up to do. And uh, this program allows me to do that. Um, honestly, you know, my religion makes sure that we right our own wrongs before we die so that we can enter the right gate um, into our own underworld. And it's the fascinating thing about it is that uh, now I am actually able, I don't have any kids of my own, but um, have recently adopted um, my wife's niece. My mother-in-law lives with me. Um, so I've got my wife, my mother-in-law, 
um, a teenage daughter and this little six-year-old running around. And um, one of the greatest miracles of this is that I get to be a real human being. I get to be a positive role model for uh, the younger ladies in the house. Uh, show them in deeds what a good man can do for a woman and um, teach them by treating my wife right, telling her I love her, taking care of her when I can. Um, So it's given me the ability to become a father, grow up, and basically build the blueprints of what um, a healthy relationship would look like. And I've never had that opportunity before. Um, My higher power just happened to bless me with it. And each new day uh, is its own. When they say one day at a time, they're not kidding. Sometimes it's one hour at a time. But I've developed a manner of moving around and navigating the outside world whenever I'm in town is that I can see without looking. And um, that's been a a gift of this program as well. I'm not one of those folks. uh, I I used to do this all the time, but it would be looking again to see if it's something uh, that I should be looking at or not. As soon as I'm, I'm, I'm in that mode, I know I'm in trouble because I'm still looking for something. Um, looking for a false positive or a false negative. It's that second level of investigation that always gets me in trouble. Um, and so now I just don't take, um, you know, the, the opportunity to see if it's something that I should be looking for or not. And, um, of course, you know, there's, there's the practice of praying for them, send them off with a prayer. You know, I put my fingers to my lips and I whisper, you know, the lady Freya shines through you in her beauty. May you have all of her blessings as you go about your day. And that is it. And uh, by surrendering it, it goes away. Um, wasn't always that way. Just like anything else that takes practice, spirituality to me is like a muscle. Um, if you don't feed it, if you don't give it uh, regular exercise, if you don't challenge it and you don't create any sort of resistance, you're not going to grow. It, the muscle is going to remain weak and atrophy. But the more I throw myself into a spiritual way of life, the more spiritually stronger I get. Um, I have a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Um, and I'm very happy to have that reprieve today because it's not something that I thought that I would ever be capable of doing. And then it hit me. I never was capable of doing it. What I needed was a higher power that could help me do so. I needed a fellowship that could help me do so. And um, I'll just kind of close with, uh, with this. It was, it was an idea that um, I really liked and basically said... Um, You can fight without ever winning, but you can never win without a fight. And you can surrender without a prayer, but never truly pray without surrender. And I love the way that that was written. Um, And it gives me the courage, and it gives me the strength, and it gives me the fortitude to stick to my spiritual principles and practices as a human being, as a father, as a husband, 
as a son-in-law and be able to do the most good that I possibly can for somebody who isn't me on a daily basis. Um, I don't worry about me. Um, I worry about the people who are still struggling around me. And while I'm focused and concentrated on that, magically, somehow, my higher power takes all of those things that have been laying around in the background and uh, they go away. And that can't be anything other than the work of a higher power. I had to have evidence to believe, and that was evidence enough for me. Um, there's one more thing I was trying to come up with, and I, I can't remember it. Um, no, it must not be that important. Um, when people come into this program, I cannot strongly advise enough the availability of meetings, 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 even if you live in a remote area. Uh, for me, um, I'm three and a half hours away from the closest meeting, but I made the trek uh, every week. Uh, there's only two meetings that I could feasibly get to, and uh, I showed up at those two meetings um, at great time cost and at great gas cost, but I knew it was something I needed to do. When it became no longer financially feasible for me to do so, they allowed me to join by uh, telephone. They uh, put me on speakerphone, and they, they dropped my phone in my chair where I used to sit, and they allowed me to attend that way. And um, But first, I had to show up. I had to show up. I was serious. I had to, I had to show them that uh, I needed what they had, which was a peaceful, content sobriety that doesn't have the background static of perpetual discontent. Um, the background static of perpetual discontent is that noise in the background that um, uh, say you're having a conversation in the kitchen and you can't exactly hear each other, you're having trouble communicating, your voices are getting raised, and all of a sudden the fridge, which has been running this whole time, shuts off. When it shuts off, there's that quiet. Because something left the room in the way of noise, it's noticeable. It's like, wow, I didn't know how much that was bothering me. And so the background static of perpetual discontent is something that I've been able to handle by learning how to be alone in silence and uh, not have that background static of discontent and just no true union with my higher power and others. Um, if I had a wish, I would wish that everyone on this phone call today have a happy, sober, and serene day. And when things are going good, this too shall pass. And when things are going bad, this too shall pass. Because the time comes clarity. And keep coming back. That's all I've got. Thanks.